Hey, Reach Paramount. Welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message continues our series, Chambers, with special guest speaker, Pastor Matthew Lara from Reach Bell Gardens. In this message, it's entitled, The Discerning Heart. Enjoy this message. Praise the Lord. Man, she's got me crying. I haven't even started preaching yet. Uh, man, well, you, you all can take your seats this morning um, as I get situated here. Um, it is an absolute honor uh, and privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, I, I do not take it lightly uh, ever to preach the word of God, um, uh, but more significantly here in this place, um, uh, as I can recall in my life, I, I, I want to take a moment just to thank uh, a few people. Uh, first and foremost, I, I want to thank God right? Because I would not be the person you see before you today if it was not God. Um, I I can recall moments uh, when I walked into not this building, but the other building over there at the age of 15 years old, messed up and jacked up. And I I went because I was invited by a friend and and the Lord just began to do something in my life and and just seeing his grace work in me all throughout these years. Um, I want to thank my beautiful wife, uh, first and foremost, before I am a preacher, I am a husband. Um, and, and so I, I love her and I, and I honor her and I value her. And I'm so grateful uh, for the, the helpmate that the Lord has brought to me. Um, uh, secondly, I want to thank my son, Emerson. Uh, he's, he doesn't know what the heck is going on, but he knows we were up early. And he's like, we got to go. And I'll say, okay, we're here, son. Uh, but he's over there at Reach Kids having a blast. Um, I also want to thank uh, our pastors, Pastor Mike and Abby, uh, for, for releasing us and just investing us in us over these years. Um, and, and finally, thank Pastor Omar, Sister Letty, and the whole pastoral team here at Reach Paramount. Can we give your pastors uh, a round of applause? Thank God for them. It is, it is such an honor and privilege, again, just to be here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to the book of Psalms. We're going to be reading Psalm 139, and we're going to read the whole psalm, so I hope uh, you came to read the Bible today uh, at church. <laughs> uh, but we're going to read the whole psalm, um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to minister a word that I believe is going to challenge you, is going to encourage you, uh, maybe even rebuke you a little bit, uh, but guide you into the truth of what the scriptures are laying out here. Um, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Uh, I encourage you to take notes. Listen, shout out to you all online. I know you're not here with us. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, but listen, take notes. Uh, Just capture what the Lord is speaking in this moment. um, And I'll give you all the outline as we go through. But this is what the Bible says, Psalm 139, starting with verse one. It says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my laying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? I have ascended to heaven. You are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In the book, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. 
They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this moment. Lord, as we dive in, Lord God, not into my own opinions or my own biases, God, but as we dive into your word and your truth. Lord, I pray that every heart would be focused on you in this moment. Lord, that we would put aside distractions, that we would put aside worries, that we would put aside everything that we've come here today that may be bearing down on us, Lord. God, and that our hearts would be focused on you. Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, Lord, that it would challenge, God, that it would encourage, God, that it would admonish, it would rebuke, it would accomplish your perfect will in our hearts that as we leave this moment, Lord, that we'd be changed and transformed from the inside out. Holy Spirit, I pray for the miracle of salvation. Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do, drawing men and women to the Father here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I was tasked uh, this morning, I was given, I I know you all are in your uh, Chambers uh, sermon series, which I think is an amazing sermon series. And I was tasked with the idea of talking about the discerning heart. So, so I want to first start off with defining that word discernment, because that word, uh, if you're, if you're not, uh, you, you didn't grow up in the church, right? Uh, you probably don't even know what that word, uh, means, and, and that, cause that word's not used in common language, right? So discernment means this. It's the act of, pro- or process of exhibiting keen insight or good judgment. So when we're talking about having a discerning heart, we're talking about the heart that can have good judgment. That's the first and foremost thing. As we get into the message, I I, want to also recognize is that we live in a society where heart talk is kind of common, right? Like, like, have you ever heard this? Uh, My heart's just not in it. (laughs) You're like, bro, this is your marriage of 15 years and seven kids. Like, what you talking about? Your heart's not in it, right? Like, your heart's not in it. Or, Or this is another one, right? I had a change of heart, right? I had a change of heart. This one is funny to me. What's in your heart of hearts? I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, what are you talking? Like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, right? Or, or here's the biggest one. I feel like this has become uh, a, so, like plastered on social media uh, over the years, right? Or follow your heart, or listen to your heart, right? We, we, we live in a society where we're encouraged to follow our heart, to, to, to try to utilize our heart to guide us in a way to find our path through life. But there's a big issue. There's a ginormous issue. And that's found in Jeremiah because the Bible tells us that our heart is deceitful. That means that our heart is full of lies. And so if we're being led by our heart, there's a huge chance that we're being led astray. So before we even get into talking about how do you get a discerning heart, we have to come to the crux of this position here where we recognize that our heart is deceitful. And that's true for unbelievers as much as it's true for believers as well. Because the reality is that sometimes we come in and we have gospel amnesia and we feel like, oh, I don't do X, Y, and Z anymore, so I don't, I, my heart's not deceitful. Bro, our heart is deceitful. <laughs> it lies to us. Doesn't matter how long you've been saved. Doesn't matter uh, what kind of position you hold. Our heart remains deceitful until that moment where we stand before him in glory and eternity. So I want to give us here, based on the passage that we read, I want to break down three things that I believe is going to help us when it comes to having a discerning heart. I'm going to give you the three points now so you, all of y'all that are taking notes, it'll be easy to track with me. We're going to talk firstly about the characteristics of God. We're going to talk secondly about the conditions of men. And we're going to talk finally about uh, the continuum of discernment. Okay? 
So we're going to talk about the characteristics of God, the conditions of men, and the continuum of discernment. Let's look back at the verses that we read and look at what, what King David is doing here, right? This is a, a psalm that was written by King David. Uh, one thing to note, as you read the psalms, uh, they're, they're under the genre of poetry, Okay, so sometimes there's language used uh, that's not uh, supposed to be taken literal um, or is supposed to be taken with a little bit of creative uh, license there. Uh, and we're going to point out those points here uh, as, as David writes this. But David, in the first couple verses of the passage that we read, he actually does a tremendous job at laying out three prominent characteristics of God. And when it comes to having a discerning heart, it always has to begin with looking at God first. If we begin to look at ourselves first or someone else first or our world or our education or our background or our culture, we're going to miss the point. The first characteristic that, that David here lays out is God's omniscience. And that word omniscience means that God is all-knowing. Did you note as the verses that we read, verses 1 through 6, lay out his, his, his characteristic of being all-knowing? David writes things like, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. That word know, uh, if, you, if you go through the Old Testament, you follow the, that same word through the Old Testament. In Genesis, it's the same word where we find that Adam knew his wife. Some of y'all adults know what I'm talking about. Married folk know what I'm talking about, Right? That's an intimate type of knowing. That means that no one else knows you that way. Or they shouldn't. Amen? (laughs) This is what David is saying. He's saying, look at God. You've known me in a way that no one else does, right? He uses language in saying, God, you know when I rise up in the morning and you know when I lay down. He says, he says, even before a word is on my tongue, even before I speak Even before the word comes out, you already know it. He says, you know my thoughts from afar. There's nothing that's quicker in our mind than a thought. Think about this. When you walked into the room this morning and you saw your friend, immediately you had a thought. It's not like you had to think about that thought. (laughs) It just came to you. It was automatic. The Bible tells us that the Lord knows our thoughts even from afar, even before we have that thought. This is the power of our God when it comes to his limitless knowledge. See, God's knowledge is intimate. It's impeccable, meaning it's perfect. There's a a belief out there, and I'll warn you with this. There's a group of Christians that believe that God's knowledge is growing. That God created the heavens and the earth and put humans here on earth and all the animals. And then he's like, okay, I'm done. He's like, ooh, iPhone, that's cool. I, didn't, I don't know about that. Tell me more. Listen, God's knowledge is absolute and perfect. God doesn't learn things. He's not like, that's why he's not shocked by some of our behaviors. He knows. It's incomparable. Listen, you cannot compare God's knowledge to anyone else's. It doesn't compare to the knowledge of your spouse or your kids or your job or your, educa- your educators. It doesn't matter who you compare it to. God's knowledge is incomparable. It's inescapable. That means that you and I cannot hide anything from the Lord. How many times as Christians do we try to hide things from the Lord? We hide things from our friends, from our pastors, from our leaders, from our loved ones. We can't hide that stuff from the Lord. Sometimes I chuckle when I read the Genesis account and I'm like, Adam and Eve, why were you hiding? You know God knew where you were at. (laughs) And finally, one of the things, the characteristics of of God's uh, omniscience is that it's inexpressible. See, we struggle with this in explaining God's knowledge because the reality is, is we can't understand it. David says it's so high, he's like, I can't even attain to thinking that way. But that's what God's knowledge is. The second characteristic that David lays out is God's omnipresence. This is meaning that God is everywhere at all times. Listen, listen to the verses that he, that he laid out in verses 7 through 12. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? 
He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I go down to Sheol, you are there. He says, there's nowhere that I can escape to where your presence isn't there. See, let me clarify something. It's not like God is, uh, separates himself into multiple uh, uh, people and then is like everywhere at all times. The Bible says that he inhabits everything. That God is so huge and so big that he encompasses the heavens and the earth. So at any point in the day, at any given moment in history, at any given moment in your lifetime or my lifetime, God is there. There's no place where God is not. I love the way that David lays it out. He says, even if it feels like the darkness covers me, he says, darkness is like daylight to you. This is why we can hear of countless stories of men and women who it seemed were at their darkest point of life and the Lord met them there. Where you were at that point of no return, where you were gonna take your own life. Where you were at that point where someone was gonna take your life. Where you were at that point where you felt like that was it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm giving up on everything and the Lord met you there in that darkest place of your life. Because God's presence is unlimited to where we are, we could be. There's nothing that can stop him. The last characteristic that David lays out, and this is, this is so important, especially in our time today, is God's omnipotence. Meaning that God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Note uh, the verses that, that David lays out here, verses 13 through 18. He says, you formed my inward parts. That word inward when it comes to that, that, the translation, he's literally, it, it, in, the, in the original language, it's talking about the kidneys, but it references all the internal parts of our body, the heart, the lungs, all these parts that are inside our body that are perfectly arranged so that we can function as human beings. All these parts that are intricately designed I took, I took a, an opportunity to listen to Pastor Omar's introduction message to this series where he talked about the heart pumping crazy amounts of blood in one day. This was, a, this was not by chance. It wasn't by accident that the heart was designed. It was a purposeful design by our God. And it demonstrates his power that he could create something so perfect that even medical professionals today cannot figure out certain issues. I'm blown away at how much faith we put into medical professionals. And I thank God for doctors. I thank God for all the different uh, methods by which we can, we can have some kind of relief from symptoms. But listen, the doctors do not compare to our God when it comes to power. He says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, my frame was not hidden from you. Even before I was created, even when I was made in secret, he says, it, it wasn't hidden from you. If you're a parent here, we, we have, at least in this time, right, we have the, the, the opportunity to see our child in the womb via ultrasounds. And now they have like crazy, like 3D ultrasounds, right? Next, it's going to be like 4D where like they're going to be able to spit at you or something from the womb, right? Like, it's crazy, right? And we get to see and we're like, wow, look at their features. God had already had that. This is why as believers, let me tell you, if you don't know how to defend why we're against abortion, it's right here. It's because God in all his power designed us while we were in the womb. That's why we believe that abortion is wrong. The omnipotence of God. He says, every single one of our days has already been written out. There's no one that can tell you the details of your life before you were born. There's no one. But God has it all written out. Every single moment, even the things that surprise you. He has it all written out. And this is why we begin with the characteristics of God because utilizing this understanding of God's knowledge, of God's presence, and of God's power gives us an understanding of who we are. And this is where we lead into the conditions of men. 
Note there in verses 19 through 22, David says this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O man of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Here, David lays out the two conditions that are found of men. I'm gonna break it down really simple. There's only two conditions that people can have, and that is wicked or righteous. Let me, let me dispel some myths. You cannot be kind of righteous and kind of wicked. <laughs> There's no spectrum to this. It, it is either you're wicked or you're righteous. That is it. Don't let anyone confuse you or make an argument against you that says, oh, oh yeah, I believe in God, but yet their lifestyle demonstrates that they don't even believe in themselves. <laughs> How could they believe in God? It's only two conditions. See, David here, uh, he, he talks about the characteristics of the wicked. He says it's those that are men of blood. That, that phrasing is, is that these people shed innocent blood. They go out and they shed innocent blood. And you may be here like, well, I never killed anyone. Well, Jesus said if you have hatred in your heart, you've already committed murder. Right? It says that they speak with malicious intent against God. They defame God. They try to make God out to be someone he's not. I heard a ridiculously dumb reel this past week, I think it was last week, of someone claiming that God raped Mary because she didn't give consent. How dare people make that kind of malicious comment to God? This is the characteristics of the wicked. These people take God's name in vain. They they, they disgrace it. They don't care. They don't say anything like that. They don't, ah, could matter less to them. See, this is why Paul the apostle says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, and this is a reality that we have to come to. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The wicked cannot inherit the kingdom of God. They cannot. And then David gives the contrast of the righteous. And maybe if you were anything like me, as I prepared for this message, I read these words that David write. He says, don't I hate those that hate you? You're like, oh, dang, David. You mad, bro. This is what's called a precatory prayer. You'll find this in the Old Testament a lot. Where the men of God are praying for God to enact judgment on the wicked. And see, we read this, and here's the reality. We read it with a veil of our own culture. We read it with the veil of our own experiences. And we read it, oh, no, we're not supposed to hate, Pastor Matt. We're not supposed to hate. God is love. Yes, God is absolutely love. But God hates wickedness. He hates wickedness. And what David is laying out here, he's saying, God, I want to be so aligned with you that I hate wickedness just as much as you do. That when it comes to this experience of life, this short life that we have to live, that we would not be deemed to love wickedness and align with wickedness, but that we would hate wickedness and depart from it. This is the difference between those that are wicked and those that are righteous. A wicked person doesn't depart from wickedness. Before the Lord saved me, I loved sin. And so did you. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> but when the Lord saved me, there was a transformation into my heart. 
And it wasn't because of me. It's not like I realized, oh, I got to do good now. It was the Lord working in me that caused me to recognize that my sin was hurting him, hurting myself, and hurting others. And it wasn't God's intention for me to live that way. And this is why Paul follows up what we just read with this statement. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, And such were some of you. We read verses 9 and 10 and we say, yeah, the idolaters, the adulterers, those people, man, they're evil. He says, and such were some of you. He says, but, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is the reality of the two conditions of men is that without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit, you could not transition from wicked to righteous. It is by one way and one way only. That means that despite our condition, God saves. Did I not lay out for you that God knows all things? I love this song by Torrin Wells. I I believe it's called uh, Fully Known. And he has this line, the first time I heard this song, I was just broken in tears. Because he says this line in the chorus, it says, I'm fully known and loved by you. See, love is real easy when the person that you're loving does everything right. Love is real easy when there's no conflict. Love is real easy when there's no issues. Love is real easy when you actually like the person. Love is real hard and much different where there's a reason to hate their wickedness, a justified right reason. And so when I talk about God hating the wicked, God hating their wickedness, it demonstrates his tremendous love that even then, he still loves them. That even knowing their wickedness, even knowing their sin, even knowing their brokenness, that he would still love them. As Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 10 puts it, says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Listen, friend, if you're here, and I'm not gonna ask if you've been here for a long time or a short time. I'm not gonna be asked if you're new or anything like that. Listen, I wanna tell you very plainly, every single person that can hear my voice has broken God's law. And we're all guilty of doing that. And the only difference between those that are considered the righteous and those that are considered the wicked is one thing, and that's the belief and the repentance of sin on Jesus. Belief in Jesus and the repentance of our sin. That's the only difference. And listen, let me tell you, if you were to die today in your sin, you would stand before Jesus on that day when he judges everyone, and he would have to judge you accordingly. And because he's just and because he's holy and because he's perfect, he'd have to hold you accountable. And you would end up your life, you would end up your eternity in hell. And here, this is what I always say. The scary thing about hell is not the fact that you're going to be tortured. The scary thing about hell is knowing that God is real and that he loved you and you denied him anyway. That's the scariest part of hell. But there's such good news. There's such, such good news. That God in his love and his mercy, despite our condition, sent his one and only son. Not the extra son. Not the son that didn't matter. Not the son that wasn't as valuable. He sent his one and only son to pay a price for you and I that we could have never paid on our own. The Bible says that he was born miraculously of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He did what we could never do. He was 
arrested, falsely accused. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was forced to carry a cross that he did not deserve, and he died on that very cross. They're humiliated in front of those that he came to save. The Bible says that after three days, he rose from the grave and now forever sits at the right hand of God being an advocate for those that would believe so that when he looks at you and I as believers, he says, no, 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 God, he's, he's one of mine. No, 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 Lord, she's one of mine. That is the difference between the righteous and the wicked is that God saved us. It's not our own doing. It's not about how great you are or how much sin you've overcome. It is about 100% the grace and the love of God. And so where does that leave us? That leaves us in this last point, the continuum of discernment. I've talked about the characteristics of God, the conditions of men, and now we're gonna look at the continuum of discernment because guess what? After salvation, it doesn't end there. <laughs> I love uh, evangelist Diga Hernandez. He does this demonstration talking about the Christian life, talking about justification, sanctification, and glorification. He talks about the hallway. You, y'all probably have heard it. If you haven't, check out his YouTube page. Uh, shout out to Encounter TV uh, on that one. Uh, look at these last verses here of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. David says, and he repeats his same thought from the beginning. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, what David's response to understanding the characteristics of God, David's response to understanding the conditions of men, his response is an absolute dangerous prayer. And I wonder today if you would take up the mantle to pray in this way. Because what David is saying, listen, David is not, again, uh, diminishing God's knowledge by asking him to search him again. Like, oh, you missed a spot, Lord, search me. That's not what he's saying. What David is saying is search me so that I can know, so that I can deal with the stuff that you found out about me. See, because when you come into relationship with a God who is all powerful, all knowledgeable, and all the time, everywhere, at every place, at any time that you be, your only response is to say, God, make me aware. Awaken me to that knowledge, awaken me to that understanding, Lord. And this is where I believe the the discerning heart is developed, is in the searching, the trying, and the leading. Let's look first at the searching. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. See, God searches out the heart of people. Jeremiah chapter 17, we read the first part at the beginning of this message, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 17, verse 9. It says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's an issue. Our heart is sick. Our heart is deceitful. But then verse 10 says, it, it, I, the Lord, search the heart. It's God who searches the heart. He tests the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, our prayer when it comes to having a discerning heart is first and foremost, Lord, search me so that I can discover all the areas where I'm not living right. I heard a prominent preacher say he was on his way driving somewhere to preach. And instead of listening to music or what I do, watch YouTube videos, I do not recommend that uh, while you're driving. (laughs) All right, uh, sorry, I I get distracted, you know. Uh, But he said he took the opportunity to, to... confess sin. That's a great thing. You're about to preach, confess sin, right? Like get, get right before the Lord as much as you can, right? And he said, as he began to confess sin, he, he said it felt like a floodgate just opening. One sin led to another, led to another, led to another. Before he knew it, it was two hours later and he was crying and bawling in his car as he, arose, as he ar- arrived to the place where he was preaching. Let me tell you, believer, If our prayer life doesn't include God, asking God to examine our heart, asking God to reveal to us the areas where we're falling short continually, then maybe you've deceived yourself. Because as the Bible says in the New Testament, he who says he has no sin makes God a liar. Therefore, there is sin, 
It's somewhere in there. Here's a freebie. Ask your wife. Uh, moving on. The next one is this. He prays, not only God search me and know me, but he says, God, try me. This is a scary prayer. He says, God, try me and know my thoughts. He says, test me. See, believers nowadays don't want to be tested by God. I don't like testing. That's why I'm done with school. I'm like, I'll never go back. Right? Some of y'all that are in school know what I'm talking about. He says, try me, Lord. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. He says, put me to the test, Lord. When I say these words, when I say this to other people, when I act this way, all King James in front of my friends, listen, Lord, test me. Put me to the test. He says, put me to the test and see that I'm real. Or if I'm not, deal with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul here says, listen, the reason why we preach the gospel is not out of some falsehood. We don't just carry around the title of Christian just because it's the fun thing to do. He says we do it out of approval from God who tests our hearts. This is why James, have you ever like stumbled over this? This is why James in chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 says this. Count it all joy. Someone say joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He doesn't say if you. He says, when you meet trials of various kinds, count it joy. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is why the men that wrote these accounts, like James, like Paul, like Peter, can make statements like this because this was their prayer. They were men that prayed dangerous prayers like, God, search me and try me so I could be exactly what you want me to be. And finally, to have a discerning heart, we have to continually be led, led in the everlasting way, as David writes. I want to give you two things. I think these are so simple and yet I, I would be the first one to raise my hand to say, when it comes to the disciplines of Christianity, these are the things that fall to the wayside really quickly. We live in a culture nowadays where we can, we'll come to church and we'll be here early before the pastor shows up. But when it comes to reading our word or praying, those things go to the wayside. And so first, when it comes to being led in the everlasting ways, firstly, we've got to read God's word. I know this seems simple, and and I get it. It does seem simple, but the truth is, is how many times have you heard someone, how many times have we said, God, I want a word from you? And yet we haven't even read through the Bible completely. How many times do we want our pastor to give us advice, give us direction, when we haven't even Google searched? Does the scriptures talk about this? Listen, it's been made real simple nowadays. There's hundreds and hundreds of years of Christian theology that has already been done for you. All you got to do is go on Google. You know how to use Google? That's how you find the taco spot. You know, that's how you find the way to your house, even though you live there, because you, you, we rely so much on technology nowadays that we forget how to drive there. We're like, wait, how do, is this the turn? But yet when it comes to the word of God, how many of us neglect those resources and say, well, I just, I just don't understand, pastor. It's just the word of God is so hard for me to understand, leader, friend. I don't know if that's in the Bible. 
Or worse, we quote things that are not in the Bible, but because we were raised in a certain culture, we, we quote things like, God helps those who help themselves, amen? That's not in the Bible. Let me tell you that. And I say that not to make fun of you, not to mock you, because I used to quote that as a young believer. And it wasn't until someone looked at me and said, bro, this is not in the Bible. It shook me. Reading God's word is so vital to having a discerning heart because this is what the Bible says about the word of God. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active. Living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning. When we read this book, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. When we get into this book, Genesis through Revelation, every single page is filled with thousands and thousands of words that are sharper than any two-edged sword that cut through the deep, that cut through the muck, that cut through all the issues, that cut through all the fogginess. And they test and they discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 says this, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. My son is a baby. We still give him milk at night to go to bed. He still has a bottle throughout the day. If my son was 30 years old, I'd be like, dude, that's a little weird. You got to give up the milk. He says, those that live on milk are unskilled in the word. Only you can answer this question, but are you still sipping on milk? You've been saved for a long time, but you're still sipping on milk? Getting by by those daily Bible verses on the YouVersion app? says they're unskilled since he is a child but solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil did you catch that he says where does the constant practice come from from the word of righteousness listen I love that we're a part of a network that values the word of God. And I, I, he didn't ask me to do this because he probably would have told me not to do this, but I, I wanna put out a promo for Reach Bible Institute. If you attend here and you're a Christian, you should be there. This is not just for leaders. I've heard it said so much throughout my life as a believer that, oh, theology is for the leaders and the pastors. You can't live your life as a Christian without theology because theology is simply studying God, <laughs> knowing who he is. You can't follow someone if you don't know who he is. That room, that shouldn't be held in the foyer. That shouldn't be held in the cafe. That should be held on this stage because of the people that are attendants in this room when we're here to study God's word. And secondly, is this, these two things, which I believe go hand in hand. This is the last point, I promise. Okay? I know I said that, but I'll probably go another five minutes. The Holy Spirit and prayer. Church, if we're living this life without the Holy Spirit, we're not living life. The Holy Spirit in prayer. This is the reason why I had them as separate points before and I was praying and I said, Lord, I don't think prayer could be by itself. We're like, what benefit would it be to pray without the Holy Spirit? There'd be no benefit to that because this is what the Bible talks about to the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me 
for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, there's such a beauty in the Trinity of God, meaning God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are God, and they're distinct from one another. Meaning that when Jesus is speaking about the Spirit to come, he's saying, listen, he's going to be there. That is literally God embodying you and I to guide us and lead us into this way everlasting. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives and guides us into this truth. This is why Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. I'll close with this verse. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Anyone ever been weak? Ever find yourself in a moment of weakness? He says, the Spirit helps us. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. This is why I said that prayer and the Holy Spirit are linked. Because of this. Because humans are weak. And we're going to find ourselves in periods of weakness. Even when we think we're strong, the Bible tells us, take heed. If you think you stand, lest you fall. He says he helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Full circle. That the reason why the Holy Spirit is so vital in the leading to to everlasting, to this life everlasting, is that He's God. He searches hearts. He searches minds. He searches our intentions. Even though you fool everyone else, you don't fool God. And that's why we praise, Lord, search me and know me. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there be any grievous in way, any grievous thing in us, lead me into the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I glorify you. Lord, you're perfect and you're good. You're holy. You're amazing. And Lord, there's none like you. Lord, there's none that compare to you. You deserve all the glory and all the honor. Holy Spirit, I pray for the miracle of salvation in this moment. Listen, if you're here and you heard me talk about the price and the penalty of sin, You heard me talk about the grace and the love of God that is extended to you. Listen, let me tell you, the Bible says that he's ready and willing to forgive. And just as he extended out to the Samaritan woman at the well, he extends to you that if you were to just ask, he would give you eternal life. Listen, I I recognize that the audience I'm speaking to and, and I recognize you might not be new here, but that does not mean that you're a Christian. And I believe the Holy Spirit's already doing the work in you. And if that's you, listen, you need to repent of your sin, meaning you need to turn away from your sin, and you need to put your faith and your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you here this morning and you're in this place, listen, would you do me a favor? Would you do me a favor? We've got some workers. Can we get some workers up here? Prayer, Prayer workers, altar workers up here. Listen, if that's you, listen, we don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to make you feel outcasted because the reality is every single one of us have to stand before him on that day. If that's you, listen, would you get up out of your seat and would you make your way to this side over here? If that's you, would you make, would you make your way over here and get prayer? Come on, the Lord is already doing work in you. Listen, I know that I know that I know that there's people in this place who have claimed to be Christians that are not. And the Lord is dealing with you right now. Listen, do not miss this moment because the Bible declares that our life is short. It's like a vapor and we do not know what the next day may hold. 
If that's you, do not hesitate. Make your way up here. Listen, if you're online, Facebook, YouTube, listen. I want to lead you through a prayer. Look at this. This prayer in and of itself is not this magical prayer. It's not, it's not uh, uh, anything special, but simply leading you through the process of what the Bible says about confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And this is what I'm going to ask the Christians in this place. I'm going to ask you to say this prayer along with those that are saying it for their very first time. Can we do that? Let's pray. Say, Father, I come before you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I turn away from them right now. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, can we give Jesus some praise? I believe the Lord is doing the restorative work, the regenerative work in people's hearts right now. Listen, if you said that prayer for your very first time, listen, we want to support you. We want to help you. Listen, if you're online, listen, connect with Reach Paramount. Go to their website. Go to their Instagram. Hit them up. Say, hey, I said that prayer for the very first time. Listen, tell them, I need a Bible. Someone will get you a Bible. Listen, and if you're in this place, and you said that prayer for the very first time or the millionth time. Listen, this is a point right now where the Lord is doing something special in your heart. Don't take it for granted, but allow God to continue to work in you as this week progresses, as this month progresses. Because the Bible says that the Christian life, those that are righteous, is like the rising of the sun that gets brighter and brighter to noonday. Amen. Can we stand up to our feet, church? We're going to do one more thing before we dismiss. Listen, I talked a lot. <laughs> and I hope you were taking notes. If not, watch it on YouTube. All right, that's the benefit. All right. But listen, I know God's dealing with people. Whether it's dealing with it with you in terms of his characteristics. Maybe you never knew that God was all-knowing. Or maybe you did and you continued to deny it. Like, oh no, he doesn't know this area of my life. Maybe it's his omnipresence or his powerful ability to do anything and everything possible. Maybe it has to do with the condition of men. Maybe you're a Christian, but you're still desiring sin and not battling against it like you should. Maybe it has something to do. Maybe you'll take up that challenge as David did to pray, search me. Try me, God, and lead me into the way everlasting. Listen, whatever it is, whatever it is, listen, I would love to pray with you your pastors, your leaders, your altar workers would love to pray with you. As the worship team sings, listen, would you make your way up to this altar? Come on, don't hesitate. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.